Let us join our hearts in prayer. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, through the preaching of your word, we pray tonight that you would bring us to the cross of our Redeemer and draw us close to his side, that we there may see him as our wonderful King of grace, who has died for our salvation. Help us also to live for him and uh, to express this wonderful grace uh, that you have shown us through our lives of service to this precious King. We pray it in his saving name. Amen. Your fellow redeemed who have been purchased and bought back to God by the suffering, death, and resurrection of his only Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God's grace, kindness, and mercy are yours to be found alone in this Redeemer. Amen. Our text for tonight is just a brief portion from the reading we heard before. I'll just read again one verse from verse 37. And they put over his head the accusation written against him, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. In 1077 AD, Pope Gregory VII was very mad at the emperor or the king of Germany, a man by the name of Henry IV. And so Pope Gregory decided to strip this king of all of his power. And he did this by calling on all of the Christians that lived in Germany and demanding, on behalf of God, that they no longer follow this king. So in essence, stripping him of all of his power. And that it would be evil against God to obey this man now as their king. Well, King Henry was pretty much dethroned because of this. And so he trudged through the snow all the way from Germany through Switzerland into Italy. And he went to the castle where the, where the Pope was staying And he had his family with him, wife and probably some children. And the scene is portrayed that he stood out in the snow in a blizzard, banging against the door, pleading with the Pope just to have an audience with him so he could talk to him about regaining his position as the king. I'm sure that if there was anybody that walked by that scene and saw this man banging and pounding on the castle door, hoping to be let in in the middle of a blizzard, that thinking of him as being a king might have been the farthest thing from their mind. Think about the scene that we just heard read before us. This man who's being crucified as, along with common criminals. And this is supposed to be a king? This is how the world is supposed to treat this king? The plaque above Jesus' head says that very clearly, king of the Jews. I'm sure there were some people that really thought it was a sarcastic joke. Just hours before this, Jesus, when he was on trial before Pilate, had been asked by him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, it is as you say. And then he said to Pilate those famous words, my kingdom is not of this world. Nothing could give more evidence to that than how he's now being treated, that his kingdom has nothing to do with this world if this is how he's being treated. Crucifixion was designed by the Romans very specifically to have your death take as long as possible. For some people, it took three or four days. And in addition to that, to try to make it as painful as possible so that you suffered as much as you possibly could. They even permitted and encouraged people in the crowd to throw things at you and uh, let people from the families of anybody who was offended by this person to stand at the front and throw things at the person who was being crucified. So this is supposed to be a king. 
Now, as Christians, we learn the crucifixion scene with a whole lot of meaning to it. But just for a moment, try to imagine an unbeliever looking at this. Try to imagine somebody who is not in the kingdom of faith looking at the scene of Christ being crucified and how absolutely ridiculous this would appear to be as a religion. What apparent foolishness seems to be taking place on this beam of execution. So think to yourself from an unbelieving perspective, what other religion would take its God and have its God be sacrificed? What other religion would teach that all of their personal guilt gets heaped on top of their God and makes him now has to suffer? What other religion would ever say that their God has to go now and feel what hell is like for everything that they have done? Think how crazy this appears to the standards of the world, how ridiculous this is. There's, there's no sense to this. There's no reason to any of it. Somebody observing this scene without faith would look at this scene and say, in what bizarro world is this man a king? In what bizarro world is this a religion? This is absolutely ridiculous. And yet we know from scripture and by faith that in God's economy and in God's judicial system and in the system of heaven, this is a necessary event. It's always been God's desire to have people like us be close to him. It's always been God's desire to have a, a close relationship with us. That's why he made humanity. He made human beings because he wanted a particular thing that he created to have this tremendous relationship with him. And as we know, our first parents wrecked all of that by pushing him away in rebellion and, and sin and disobedience. The same thing that's still alive in me and in your heart right now. Okay? The same rebellion that, that still shows itself in us and pushes God away, it's still there. But this God still loves people, still loves humanity. Had to come up with a way to keep humanity to himself. He could have just thrown us on the junk heap of all the other species that have been lost through time and just cast humanity aside and just wipe the world out of existence. But there were some things inside of him that could not let him do that. There's a powerful love in him for this creature that he wanted to bring back into a relationship with him. And so he had, a, he had if you will, in a sense, a conundrum from our perspective, a conundrum that, that the guilt and the wickedness, the evil that's inside of us had to be atoned for. There had to be, there had to be a payment for this. There had to be blood. There had to be death. There had to be suffering for this. And at the same time, he loves you so much. He wants to be in such a personal, close relationship with you so strongly that he just couldn't do it to you. He just couldn't, couldn't lay it on you. And so he, he came up with a plan to, to have his justice satisfied so that he could still be God and a righteous God and at the same time love you to death, just love you like crazy. And so he decided to take his own son himself, make him a human being and come into the world and have to go through this horrible scene and to feel hell, your hell, my hell, so that he could keep loving us and, and bring us back into a relationship of perfection with him that none of us could have done on our own. Martin Luther once said, thinking about 
the Christian religion, he said, to paraphrase him, this religion had to come down from heaven because it's so alien to man's mind. Nobody here on earth could have come up with this. Nobody could have come up. Can you imagine people sitting around a fire one night and saying, hey, we should start a religion. You know what we should do? We should make our God have to come down and become a criminal. And then we'll kill him. No, let's kill him in a really bad way. Let's really kill him really bad. And let's make him feel hell. Let's do that. Can you imagine anybody ever trying to come up with a religion like that? How ridiculous. No wonder St. Paul refers to it as foolishness in the eyes of the world. And I'm sure there were those in the crowd that night that as they walked past Christ and saw the name up above his head just laughed. This is supposed to be a king. And anybody that supposedly was believing in this man, they probably thought, how absolutely crazy, how absolutely ridiculous. They, they start yelling at him and mocking him from the crowd. Let God come and rescue him if he's supposed to be the son of God. Let God come and rescue him. It's interesting that those words are a direct, direct quotation from Psalm 22 that David had written by inspiration over a thousand years earlier. And I always wonder, did some of those chief priests and teachers of the law, the people who are supposed to know the Bible the best, did they possibly, maybe weeks later, start paging through their scrolls and run across Psalm 22 and start looking closely at the words? By the way, go home and read it tonight. It's amazing. It's, it's as if David is just sitting right at the foot of the cross with a pad of paper and a pen, just writing what's going on, quoting people, casting lots for his clothing, piercing his hands and his feet. So if there's any unbelievers out here tonight, if there's anybody who's really not a believer tonight, I'd like you to explain to me, explain to me how a thousand years prior to this event, Someone could sit down and write details, details about this event that all find themselves fulfilled in the Gospels. A psalm that we know from other sources was written and well-established long before Jesus was ever born in Bethlehem. So how do you explain that in your unbelief? I wonder how many of those priests or teachers of the law stumbled upon those passages and started to realize exactly what they had done. Their very mockery of this man as a king ended up fulfilling a prophecy about the great coming Messiah. It's interesting, in the book of Acts we hear this. Just a few, maybe possibly months after Jesus' death and resurrection, we hear this. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and then listen to this. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. I wonder how many of them were the ones standing making fun of Christ and mouthing off to him from below the cross. We're still in the middle of dealing with a plague in our world. We're hoping it's coming to an end soon. A plague often can spread by just one person infecting many, many more people. In Jesus Christ, we have the reverse plague, the reverse plague. Because in this one man, in this one God-man, the great mediator, getting close to him by faith through word and sacrament is the very thing that overturns the plague of sin and death that has infected us. 
In that way, he is the great reverse plague. He has come into your life through word and sacrament to undo all of the problems that have been brought into our lives spiritually, physically, temporally, because of the fall into sin. He has come to reverse all of that for us. How blessed we are that we have come to know him as this king of grace. Jesus once said to Peter, when Peter confessed him as the Messiah, blessed are you for this was not revealed to you by man, but, my, but by my father in heaven. How blessed we are to be able to look at the body of a dead criminal and to see there the gate to heaven, to see there in that dead corpse the love of God for each one of us. As Paul says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Amen.